0: Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. In the situation, think about who the Padres are and the swagger that they have. If it's Tatis who hits that home run, oh. I mean, they they probably oh. would have stopped the game. This is the
1: press box.
0: Brought out a full mariachi yes. and had like a party on the yes. field.
1: Ed Greeny adam candy
0: for that. the bat toss would still be in the air the, uh, absolutely it would still be in the air uh, like manny machado would have would have gone out to the mound pulled his pants yes. down taken a dump on the mound <laughs> and said you pitch through this for the rest
1: of the day on espn las vegas
0: wonder
2: how long it'll be before we see tatis with that uh bat flip again every day this kid's got the wrist updates ed grainy adam candy danny running the show how are you buddy
0: doing all right Ed I I don't think Tatis is going to be allowed to flip the bat anymore it's too dangerous to the wrist
2: did you see about oh two weeks into this injury I couldn't believe he was doing it but he was out playing soccer in the outfield like falling down and falling on his wrist and everything I'm thinking like who's allowing this kid to be out there playing soccer when he's got
0: this major wrist injury dude Ever since Mariano Rivera blew out his knee, shagging fly balls, I've basically wanted to put anyone valuable in glass before the game. Yes, I mean that—that that to me
2: was amazing. Uh, Tyler's not here; off to a uh, resort somewhere in Mexico. Uh, good for him. Any, any what's uh, before we get going? Uh, you ever been to a resort in Mexico? What's your What's your favorite vacation spot?
0: I've been to Mexico only a couple of times, and I've not been to a resort, although if you look around the uh, the, the Lotus Broadcasting family, it seems to be a very popular spot yes. uh, for, for those around here. Uh, so, no, I haven't spent a lot of time uh, down there. How about yourself? Uh, well, you know,
2: San Diego State, Tijuana was a normal spot for us uh, kids on Friday and Saturday night. And then uh, Mexico City with the Raiders.
0: I, you know what? I think whatever we have on the rundown, we need to scrap, and I need three hours of Ed Graney's College <laughs> Tijuana stories.
2: You know, that's where I won a dance contest. All right, now we need oh, a story. Yes, oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, well, I forget I forget the year <laughs> or and the night, but somehow I'm, I, I'll preface it with this. I might have been the only one in the contest. and There might not have been a contest going on. Uh, but at some point, they handed me a beer and told me to stop. Uh, so I've always just considered it a win when it comes to the dance contest. I think I was the only one in the dance contest.
0: So basically, you won on sort of the Elaine Bennis theory here, yes. right? Like, it was so bad, they told yes. you to stop, and you're like, hey, they gave me a beer, They so gave me fine. a free
2: beer, and they said, yeah, you win, step, out, step off the bar, and uh, we need you to step over there. Step and just... off <laughs> the bar! <laughs> so we need you to go over there and not do anything the rest of the night, or you'll never leave here, and you'll never be able to go back to San Diego. Love it. The first bite. Have the Lightning played too many games? All right, this probably sounds crazy because they won 6-2, to two, but uh, Nikita Kucherov is supposed to play tonight. We saw what happened to him uh, when he got uh, driven into the uh, uh, ice by uh, Devin Taze, uh, and when he got hit in the back. Um, Braden Point is highly doubtful. 65 games. I want to ask you this because, you know, they still – I thought they played well the other night. I don't think either of us thought they played great, but they did what they needed to win. This is a lot of hockey over the last three postseasons. So 65 games, uh, It's. I guess it's not a shock that they're suffering injuries. But do you foresee this being an issue if this goes long? I mean, have you have you seen uh, Toronto in seven? The, they took out the Rangers after being down 2-0. Is there any truth to this with these guys getting hurt, or is it just like – you know, bad luck, and this means nothing that they've played so many games over the last few
0: years. Well, I think I would look at it, Ed, in terms of who has played all of those games over the last few years, right? Like, Braden Point was a consistent force for them, and now they're likely going to be without Braden Point uh, in this game, but take a guy like Kucherov, and if you're a Golden Knights fan, you know right. the Kucherov story well, or at least you should, because Nikita Kucherov spent all of last year on IR before coming back for the playoffs, right? Like, the Tampa Bay Lightning kind of laid the blueprint for the vegas golden knights as to how you could stick your stars on long-term injured reserve and be able to avoid salary cap implications till the playoffs look at steven stamkos from a couple of years ago steven stamkos missed significant time before coming back uh in the bubble so i don't know that i would worry about that so much with the tampa bay lightning as i would maybe specifically this season they've played a lot of games Right, right um that being said, we probably could have used that excuse when they fell down 2-0 to the Rangers and then they came storming yeah, back against yeah, them. Yeah,
2: it's a great point. Um 65 games like I said. Did you see and and we talked about it after after the uh, after the win, but anything in game 3 that makes you believe Tampa Bay can win the series or was that just hey, they got home, they play well at home, their fans were going crazy, they got out of the altitude? Uh, and they just had one of those nights where, you know, they were able to do it because they're Tampa Bay. And like Stampco said to um, Emily Kaplan, nobody knows what we have in that room. I think, I think people know what they have in the room, kind of with the championship medal and those guys. But I didn't walk away from that at all thinking they had a chance left in the series. And I, I say that uh, going back on my word that before the series, I said I can't bet against Tampa Bay just because it's Tampa Bay. But watching those first two games and seeing that they won 6-2, to two, but I didn't think they played great. I, I still I'm still going to be shocked if it's not uh, I'll say 6 now. I'll say 6. I they they might be able to get one more at home.
0: Yeah, and I when we talked about this on Monday, I said I wouldn't be surprised if they win a game like game 3, but I which can't they were see favorite and
2: you told me small favorite.
0: Yeah, it, and and you're looking at them going into tonight as a pick 'em, right? So it's not like it, uh we've seen a huge shift other than the, the little bit of momentum toward Colorado, actually, in the odds. So I think you look at it in, with the Tampa Bay Lightning and say they absolutely could pro- could win again tonight, but now you're asking them, if you get the victory tonight, to go win two of three in Colorado. And I don't see it. I, I haven't been able to see it with as good as Colorado is because, as you just mentioned, this was a 3-2 to two game. Right? This was not uh, something like Colorado's Game 2 where they went out and blitzed them and it was over. So I think it takes everything the Lightning have to be able to defeat the Colorado Avalanche, and that's why I can't see them winning another 3 out of 4. And I get it. I get it with the championship medal. Right. But I'll put it this way. You, you guys know I'm a Yankees fan, and this, gives, this whole series has given me such strong 2001 World Series vibes um where it's this champion that can't be easily knocked out and yet you have an opponent who is so superior and if i think about those diamondbacks and the fact that they had randy johnson and kurt Schilling, like that was clearly the better team and it was going to take everything the yankees had in that series to be able to extend it and they i mean Damn it, they they pulled it all the way to the ninth inning of Game 7, but the better team still won out in the end. I think the better team is still going to win out here. In that was Luis, wasn't it? That uh, that was Luis Gonzalez, where if Joe Torre hadn't brought Derek Jeter in and let him play where he normally plays on the edge of the infield, he would have caught the ball because it landed in the dirt. Yes.
2: Uh, look, Vasilevsky, Stamkos, Edmund, Kucherov, and especially if Kucherov's banged up, I think it was more of a one-off. I think you're right. Uh, they can't win two out of three in Colorado. Finally, all these stars stepped up. i got to say this for Vasilevsky, though. Uh, 7-0, they didn't take him out. Thought he stepped up in Game 3, and that, I think, kind of proved his medal in terms of who he is as a goalkeeper. I don't know uh, what you thought, but for him to come back and, you know, play decently after giving up 7-0, it kind of says, you know, this is who the guy is. I, I think in the Vesna last night he might have finished 4th, I, I, I was looking at those uh, I was looking at those numbers late um, last night. Uh, 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 I, I can't believe he finished fourth only because I, I, Securgeon is uh, won the thing, but I just can't believe he finished fourth given how good he's been you know, over the year.
0: Yeah, I understand what you're saying. It's not like he finished second and you just say, yeah, Shesterkin had the kind of season that nobody was going to touch. I mean, he was at that old Dominic Hoshik, Patrick Waugh kind of level. So, no, I I don't think Vasilevsky uh, was necessarily the fourth best goaltender in the NHL this year. But when you look at it here in the playoffs, there have been warts for for Andre Vasilevsky. Yes. He didn't come out of that game in game two. Uh, In part, Ed, yes, I think it's kind of like the competitor's medal, but I also think the Tampa Bay Lightning are not using like the Golden Knights flurry and Leonard 1A and 1B theory, right? Like they don't have a backup who is going to go out there and play 25 or 30 games during the season. John Cooper rides Andre Vasilevsky like the show horse that he is.
2: Uh, Colorado can't start Darcy Kemper, can they?
0: Uh, here's all
2: right they Can can't they? start
0: Darcy Kemper they can't start Darcy Kemper uh, because a he might still be hurt and b I have a very specific very only about me reason for this um I when Kemper got hurt in the Western Conference Finals uh took a couple of spare dollars from my wallet and fired it at Pavel Francouz for Vez- uh for Con Smythe at 200 to 1 so I need Pavel Francouz to come out and have consecutive shutouts for the Colorado Avalanche to win the Stanley Cup. Uh, and and for Kale McCarr to be kidnapped and put somewhere <laughs> in the back <laughs> of the dressing room for the next two games. Uh, you, get
2: a, you get a little cheese on that, don't you, if you win? Uh, you, you know, 200 to 1, not a bad hit. I got to ask you this before we go to break because he said it yesterday. I'd love to know your thoughts on this. Bischoff, of course, uh, completely uh, crazy with this stuff. He doesn't think there should be offsides in hockey. You know, the call the other night uh, that they I think they got right on the first goal for Colorado. And we were talking about yesterday why they don't have the same camera handles, why ESPN doesn't have the same camera handles as Toronto, which makes little to zero sense. Why we can't see what they're seeing in Toronto. But his idea is why you have enough sides because the most exciting thing are two-on-one and transition hockey.
0: Nine times out of ten, I, uh, yeah, Tyler and I fall in the same spot when it comes to looking at the game and saying, there are ways we could do this better. Robot ups, yes, let's do it, right? But I don't know that I I, I don't want to get rid of offside. But I, I didn't necessarily want to get rid of the two-line pass. I'm an old hockey fan. Like I, I don't necessarily think that that's the right thing to do, but what I will say is that please get rid of offside reviews. If the naked eye can't determine it, then why do we need cameras to do it, right? Like, there's no way that a linesman can get every offside call right. No. So why are we doing this during the game? It's not even like base. The best thing I compare it to in baseball, actually, is the idea of I kept the glove on the guy when he overslid the bag by a hair or when he switched from his hand to his foot. On the back. That's what it feels like to me with offside. Something that is not the spirit of why we're doing this in the first place. So no, the, the naked eye can't pick it up. We don't need to waste all this time on reviews for it. Let these goals go through. Uh before we go to a break, it's a them tonight. You want to give your pick? I will take the Colorado Avalanche tonight. I think that this is the better side all in all. I think the Lightning are a team that can give them another competitive game. But let's go Colorado in overtime. Overtime, by a final of five to four.
2: Okay, I'll say Colorado five three in regulation.
0: Okay, what's the number right, by so the way?
2: What's that? Do you know what, what's what's the uh, what's the over
0: under? Uh, six. Know? We're still we're still looking at a goal total of six. Uh, but of course, we've seen games now that have gone seven, seven, and eight.
2: Yeah, it's amazing that staying at six.
0: Yeah, it, it is, it, and you're kind of owing to a guy like Vasilevsky and, and the fact that, uh, you know, that both of these are really good teams, but I think the quiet is it's kept secret on this is that Colorado really hasn't played very good defense in the playoffs.
2: Off and running on a Monday. It's Ed, Adam and Danny. When we come back, Hey, how long can the warriors keep this up back after this?
1: It's the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN, Las Vegas.
2: Ed, Adam candy, Danny running the show, Tyler off, uh, by the way, Tyler, the next few days, uh, programming update, no show Friday, and it is Wednesday, not Monday, because I believe I left the last break saying we're off and running on Monday. I don't I don't know about you, but it takes to at least, I don't know, 7.53 to be completely awake. Uh, so I have, I don't even know what day it is at this point.
0: You got it, everybody. Tune back in at 7.54 when <laughs> Ed is going to be spitting fire.
2: <laughs> yeah, spitting fire, all right. Uh, came back with some Warriors uh, news uh, clips. I want to ask you this. We talked about this yesterday with uh, Tyler on championship windows. And we both kind of agreed that the Raiders and the Golden Knights were kind of under this three-year window for different reasons, obviously. Um, But the Warriors, this will be interesting to see what happens with them. Steph Curry's 34, four more seasons under contract. Klay Thompson's 32. We know about his body, two more seasons. Draymond, 32, one more season and a player option. Andrew Wiggins, 27, one more season. Uh, That core, to me, can stay competitive for... At least a few more years, and I think Steve Kerr is around for a few more years. Do you see that? I mean, uh, you know, and Wiggins says he wants to stay there, so he's kind of hinting that he wants a deal now. But the three main guys, 34, 32, and 32, Thompson's uh, had the injuries. I still think they've got a few seasons, uh, you know, under their belt to where they can challenge.
0: They absolutely have a few more seasons under the belt where they can challenge. I, I don't know that I look at them as the juggernaut I did a couple of years ago, but you also have to realize you can't just look at the players on this roster. You have to look at what they could do with the space if they decide to go another direction, right? So let's start with Curry, Thompson, Wiggins, and Green. That's a lot of money, and it's a lot of money committed for the next two years, but do we think Klay Thompson's going to be at the level of a $40 million player for the next two years? He could be. It's not out of the question, but if at the end of that window after the 23-24 season 40 million dollars comes off the books and clay thompson has reached you know what is the reasonable end of his superstardom that can get you a lot on the open market like you'll be able to do a lot with that money now you might need to commit some of that to andrew wiggins you might need to commit some of that to jordan Poole. but i also look beyond that ed at what they were able to do with the draft picks they got when they were terrible james wiseman is 21 Jonathan Kaminga is 19. Moses Moody is 20. These are guys that you barely got to see over the last couple of years who all were top 15 draft picks. So you have a chance for the Warriors to reload with guys who are still on rookie contracts, and that's what should be really scary to the rest of the league. I'm on record about the fact that Jordan Poole, I don't know that Jordan Poole gets paid what Jordan Poole thinks he's going to deserve in Golden State just because of the timing. Because you're, you've got a player option at $3.9 million next year, and I don't know how you clear the space for Jordan Poole without doing something else, because I think that space is going to have to be dedicated to Andrew Wiggins right, getting right. more than the $33 million that he's getting in 22 23 because he's a guy who absolutely could go demand a max on the open market.
2: Uh, Steph Curry said he dreams of a future five years from now where Jordan Poole is an all-star, Kaminga is all-defensive player, and Wiseman is an MVP candidate. That's a putting a lot. I know uh, James Wiseman was t- drafted two overall in 2020. That's a big uh, play there by Curry that he dreams of James Wiseman being an MVP candidate. I
0: mean, he has the skill set, right? He has the size. He has the skill set. He doesn't have the health. And if you want to look at a guy who had the skill set and didn't have the health the first couple of years, his name is Stephen Curry. So I think that's where Steph Curry looks at this and says, yeah, I know what it's like to try to get on the court when I can't get myself there, but I know I have the skill to do this. So. I can see why he in particular would be able to dream on James Wiseman's potential a bit. When it comes to Jordan Poole, look, there's no question about the offensive game. There's no question about the shooting ability. He plays zero defense, and I don't know that they're going to be able to pay him within the structure of everything else they have going on right now. Maybe, maybe there's a way I'm not seeing this. Maybe they can use the flexibility of Draymond Green's contract being just about up and say to Dre, hey, we need you to take a different kind of deal, but I also don't know that Draymond Green is the guy you want to go to and say we need you to take a different kind of deal. I
2: wonder if Kerr, you know, the expectations may be too high for these younger group of Warriors. I wonder if that facilitates his exit as well. I mean, when these guys – although Curry's got four more seasons under contract at 34, he's going to be 38 years old, 38, 39, when that thing runs out. I think it was like, what, $300 million or it was some um, incredible amount. Um You've talked about Thompson and Green. We've talked about Kerr. They all might, you know, um, Popovich said when when Tim Duncan left, he was riding out in the sunset with him. That didn't happen. Uh, I don't think Kerr has kind of been on record with how long he's going to stay. But that will be interesting. You've you've really run down these guys well in terms of Poole, Wiseman, and Kaminga. And if Kerr would say, can you run it again? Or let's say they win another one. They go five. I mean, who knows? Maybe they go six. I don't know. I mean, like you said, I don't consider him a juggernaut either. I don't even know if I consider him the favorite next year. But starting all over, essentially, I don't know if he wants to do that. I think he just goes – we talked about it the other day. I think he just goes and coaches the Olympics and calls it a day.
0: Steve Kerr doesn't have the lifer in him that Greg Popovich does, right? Like, Greg Popovich looks like a guy who, if he decided for them to just – roll the casket out to the bench and just keep it there when he's like 85 <laughs> years old and be like hey if i drop just throw me in here and let me finish the rest of the game throwing a bottle uh, of wine in
2: the casket yeah uh,
0: 100 percent. right just have a bottle of wine there and uh let, let me ride off into the sunset now I, Stephen curry that contract you just mentioned in 25 26 that season He's scheduled to make $59.6 million, $261 million guaranteed overall on the contract. So I, I think with this team, you look at them being able to run it back next year and then probably in the 23-24 season, and then you start to ask the real questions after that.
2: It's 59.6?
0: Here's the escalation on Steph oh. Curry's contract. This year it was 45-7, next year 48 then 51-9, 7 and 59-6 at the end. My goodness. With a salary cap of $112 million a season. They're obviously anticipating that to go up a bit.
2: Yeah, for their sake, it better. Uh, real quick, before we go to break, I want to ask you, you have, uh, the Orlando says they're not um, sure in who's going to be the number one pick. They have Jabari Smith, Chet Holmgren, and um, Paulo Banchera uh, all working out for them. I just want your thoughts on one guy because Bischoff and I disagreed somewhat in terms of Chet Holmgren. How do you see him as a pro?
0: All right, let me just take a wild guess. Bischoff is higher on him than you are. Yes. Yeah, saw that one coming from a mile away. Uh, Look, Bischoff and I, as fellow members of the Beanpole Club, I'm sure want to believe that Chet Holmgren can put on the kind of weight he needs to to be the guy in the NBA. I don't believe it necessarily. Um, I I do think in this draft where there isn't a sure thing, if you want to gamble on Chet Holmgren, then gamble on Chet Holmgren. Right. Because I don't think you're getting that sure of an upside when it comes to Ben Caro. Um, and personally, I love Jaden Ivey. I think Jaden Ivey can have a superstar level NBA career, but I don't know that I can draft him in front of Chet Holmgren knowing what the NBA is today. Yeah. So. I, I don't believe Chet Holmgren is a sure thing by any stretch of the imagination, but I think if you want to dream on upside, he's the guy you probably take.
2: I'm with you on, again, and my, my point was, can he, can he become physically good enough? I mean, I think, you know, he's, he's got a great skill set, but can he become physically good enough in that league to make a difference? Uh, I mean, he is, man, he is thin. And, yeah, I think I think Bischoff's idea was, well, skill-wise and how they play the game today and he can shoot threes. I get all that. Like I said, I, he's got a great skill set, but you look at him and I'm like, who's he really going to physically be able to, you know, overcome? And I'm just, ta- I'm also talking about, like, 10-, 12-year veterans who are just physically intimidating.
0: Of course. And I think you, you can look at Kevin Durant and try to say, well, look, there's a skinny guy who gets it done. There's a skinny guy with absolutely freak athleticism who has gotten stronger, who just happens to be a better player than just about anybody around him right now in the NBA. And I don't think we've looked at Chet Holmgren's skill set quite that way. So again, you're kind of in a spot like the NFL draft this year, Ed, right? Where you look at Aiden Hutchinson, you look at Trayvon Walker, you, you dream on the upside of Trayvon Walker. There's a lot more safety in Aiden Hutchinson.
2: Right. Perfect stuff there. All right, when we come back, Ben Goats joins the show.
1: We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff.
2: Joining us now from the Review-Journal, lead beat writer on the Golden Knights, Ben Goats. Follow him on Twitter at Ben S. Goats. Hello, Benjamin.
1: Morning, gentlemen. How are you guys? Good.
2: How are you doing? Um, you wrote a terrific piece on Bruce Cassidy uh, in the paper this week, uh, cur- you know, curtailing his journey to the Golden Knights as uh, head coach, um Tell us a little bit about that because it was not the average journey where you just come in and you're an NHL coach right away and everything goes smoothly.
1: Yeah, Bruce Cassidy has had a very fascinating uh, career to me, more than even a lot of kind of NHL coaches. And even especially NHL retread coaches. I think in this league we kind of get used to this cycle of once guys are in, they kind of stay in. Obviously, just yesterday we saw Pete Sagor got his fifth NHL gig. Uh, there are reports this morning that Paul Maurice is getting another uh, gig behind the bench in Florida. But Bruce Cassidy, even though he's on his third job, hasn't really like been part of the cycle really up until just now. I mean, he's a guy who had a very promising NHL career. He was a first-round draft pick as a player, really good puck-moving defenseman, uh, tore his ACL very soon after the draft, and this is in the pre-Adrian Peterson days where that was not, obviously, an automatic Recovery. Uh, ten years later, he's still playing, kind of in the minors and in Europe. He tears his ACL again. Ends up, you know, deciding while he's kind of on the road to recovery to go behind the bench to help out his then coach and discovers he really loves it. So he kind of works his way up the hard way, where he starts in the International Hockey League with a team called the Jacksonville Lizard Kings. <laughs> Phenomenal name. You gotta love it. You can't make this stuff up. And so he works his way up through kind of the minor leagues coaching, gets his first job working for George McPhee uh, with the Washington Capitals. Uh, It ends poorly. They make the playoffs his first year. He's fired uh, less than 30 games into uh, his second year with a team that uh, George McPhee, when I talked to him uh, for this story, did not hold back on. He said, I shouldn't have fired the coach. I should have fired the team. Oh, and by the way, I did because uh, basically – Uh, Cassidy's firing jumpstarts the Washington Capitals rebuild where they trade off a bunch of veterans. They get the number one overall pick this year, Uh, use it on this guy named Alexander Ovechkin. I didn't do my research. I don't know how that one turned out. I assume it went okay. Um, And so McPhee obviously then rebuilds the Capitals, which works out very well for that franchise. Then Cassidy really kind of gets thrown back into the deep end and has to upstream to get back behind a bench with the Boston Bruins. It wasn't a given for him like it kind of is for a lot of these veteran retread coaches. He had to go to Chicago, be an assistant. He was a a coach in junior hockey. He coached an Ontario Hockey League team and actually got fired. Uh, Then he was with the Providence Bruins for a while as an assistant. Then after a couple years, he gets promoted to head coach. Then after Five years coaching the Providence Bruins, he becomes a Bruins assistant. Then Claude Julien gets fired. He finally gets his second chance uh, with the Boston Bruins, and obviously goes on a very impressive kind of six-season run with them. To the point that even when he's fired uh, this past uh, or this past June, you know, a couple weeks ago, uh, his phone immediately starts ringing. And obviously, he works out a deal with the Golden Knights, where he's hired basically eight days after he gets fired. Um, in Boston, but it took him obviously a while to get to that point. He went, you know, basically, uh, you know, 14 ish years between NHL head coaching jobs, and had a lot of different roles in a lot of different places in between. So I just thought that was interesting. Amazing. Of this is a guy who's really worked his way up the hard way.
2: And I'll ben, tell you, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry, Adam. You
0: no, know, it's it's going to sound like I'm doing this as a bit, but I'm not doing this as a bit. Big news for the Golden Knights. They re-sign Danilo Marimonov to a two-year contract extension. And I say this to kind of get Golden Knights fans ready for the idea that this is probably what's going to qualify as contract news that you might like uh, this offseason because there's just not much room for Bruce Cassidy's squad to uh, change that much this offseason. Do do you think that we see any sort of larger move than, than this sort of thing with the Golden Knights?
1: Well, they've got a lot to figure out, so it makes sense that they start with kind of a guy like Miramanoff, a guy that in all likelihood is probably going to start the year in Henderson next year. So they establish these guys before they move on to their kind of NHL business. They actually do have a lot of American Hockey League guys to take care of, at least guys that ended last season in the American Hockey League. Uh, Jake LeCision and Jonas Ronberg were guys that Knights fans actually saw quite a bit of in the NHL. Uh, those guys are restricted free, agents. they need new deals. The Silver Knights captain, Braden Pahal, who got a brief two-game audition uh, in the NHL, uh, needs a new deal. Um, obviously, the Knights have a fair amount of kind of leverage over these Miners guys who are still kind of hoping to break through at some point over the next couple of years, over the life of this new contract with the Knights. So I think these are a little bit easier to take care of. Uh, so it makes sense to me that the Knights kind of got started on that with Miramanov yesterday before uh, they get to probably what's going to be the more vexing question of the off season of how they fit all these, uh, you know, restricted free agents that were kind of full time with the NHL club last season under the salary cap, uh, let alone obviously the unrestricted free agents that they have uh, as well from the NHL team in Matias, Ian Mark and Riley Smith.
2: What could Riley Smith get on the open market? He's making, I think 5 million for the Golden Knights. What would be the, I guess, uh, Uh, wanting or desire for Riley Smith across this league right now?
1: Yeah, so I think you're looking at probably, even with the flat cap, a deal that's not too dissimilar to the one that he just had. I believe it was a 5 by 5 you know, five years, $5 million average annual value. He could probably get a slight uh, bump on that on the open market. Uh, I would have to imagine maybe he could do like, you know, 5 by 6 Uh, Something like that. I've seen that contract projected uh, by a website called Evolving Hockey that does a lot of this kind of type of thing. Um, So I think that's roughly what he's looking for. Maybe a slight raise, you know, with a five year commitment. He's still, you know, around 30 years old. So that takes him, you know, into his mid 30s, but not into his late 30s necessarily, where you're really sure that, you know, you're probably not getting your bang for your buck at that point. So I'm guessing that's kind of uh, what you're looking at. And obviously it'll be interesting to see if the Knights decide that's an offer uh, that they're willing to do, if they're willing to kind of basically say like, why don't we do what we just did and kind of extend this arrangement a little bit further? Because Riley Smith has been a huge part of course, of the gold Knights' success over their first five seasons. He's been, you know, an alternate captain warning a on his jersey. He's a really good two way player on a team that's kind of prides themselves of having that 200 foot uh, commitment. He sets the tone I think for a lot of younger guys on how they need to play to stick in the NHL and he plays in all situations. So he's a really important piece for this team. You could see a lot of teams that are kind of angling for the playoffs, you know, needing to kind of add that piece as well, the guy that can fit in all roles in all situations, especially maybe on a younger team with some young forwards that are still trying to establish themselves and maybe don't have that kind of all-around versatility to play you know, big penalty kill minutes yet or are still trying to figure things out in their defensive zone or something like that. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how many of those teams come sniffing around Riley Smith and whether you know he and the Knights really hunker down and because he's been here now for so long, whether they really try to find out, okay, what's the best possible compromise we can come up with that leaves us both happy and gets us to continue on in this relationship.
0: So in order to fit in Riley Smith, Ben, what would we expect the golden Knights to also have to do to be able to afford him next year?
1: Yeah. So you're definitely looking at, at shipping out another decently sized contract, because even though they, of course, have swapped Evgeny Dodonov for the long-term injured reserve contract with Shea Weber, I don't even think that's, probably going to carve out enough space to even get back all their restricted free agents. And so if you're thinking of bringing, you know, all, if not most of those guys back, then you need to probably move out a similarly sized contract to the one Riley Smith is going to get uh, to get him back into the fold. So obviously you think, okay, Max Pacioretty has one year remaining on his contract with a $7 million cap hit. Um, are they willing to move on from him early? His name. I've, of course, been in some trade rumors uh, before. Uh, There's a tricky one where Alex Martinez obviously dealt with a very scary situation last year. After re-signing with the Golden Knights last summer, he's got a $5.25 million cap hit. Are you considering moving on from him just a year after signing that deal? And then there are more moves at the margins that don't quite open up enough cap space but can help you get there depending on what you decide to do with your RFAs. Do you move on? Um, from Laurent Brossois, and see if there's a taker out there for him. If you're thinking that, you know, Logan Thompson is going to be your backup or your one B to Robin Leonard next year, assuming Leonard arrives, uh, you know, or at least by the start of the season is kind of ready to go. We're still not sure what Dylan Patrick's situation is where he's got, you know, that $1.2 million cap hit, but Kelly McCrimmon said postseason that he's out indefinitely. So maybe there's something there. Um, so we'll have to see. Those are kind of the moves at the margins that are still kind of open question marks. At this point, uh, Bressois' status I think is going to depend on Leonard's health because if Leonard doesn't start the season ready to go, you're going to need, obviously, another goaltender. And Nolan Patrick, we still have to wait to see how that situation plays itself out. But there can be some things that the Knights move around there as well if they get more clarity on what's going on that they could you know, shave off some money that way. But I think it would require probably another decently-sized veteran contract uh, to be moved to get Riley Smith back in the fold.
2: Last one for you, Ben. We went over this yesterday, uh, a window for a Stanley Cup. We put them in kind of the Raiders realm, given some of the injuries they've had, given some of the ages of these guys, at a three-year window to win a Stanley Cup. Is that fair?
1: I think that's definitely fair. That's the length of Robin Leonard's remaining contracts so that's when you know you at least have a veteran goaltender um, in place but so much of it uh, is now going to depend you know not only on kind of uh, the high-end players that the Golden Knights have left that are kind of getting into that early 30s range but really their health uh, as well obviously Mark Stone had back surgery uh, this offseason you need him to come back uh, extremely strong the last year that Max Pacioretty is under contract, so that would obviously be a huge loss if next year the Knights decide that they need to let him uh, walk away. This is definitely not a young team, and it's not like they have a you know kind of prospect pipeline that's bursting with talent, ready to kind of step in and make immediate contributions. So they do kind of have to make hay while they have all these guys, and I think that's why the fact that they didn't get into last postseason when they felt like if they were healthy, they had the talent to make a run, uh, Was such a missed opportunity because you don't know how, quite how many cracks this team is going to get at, you know, the depth and the start talent to make a deep playoff run. And I think that's why you go out and hire a guy like Bruce Cassidy, who obviously has a very good track record. of, You know, I think they're expecting him to kind of make immediate headway here and go on a deep playoff run this season while they still have this group pretty much together.
2: Well, he is Ben Goats, the lead beat writer for the Golden Knights, for the Review-Journal. Follow him on Twitter, at Ben S. Great stuff, Benjamin. We appreciate it.
1: Yeah, no problem, guys.
2: There he is, Ben Goats. All right, when we come back, we're going to get into the officiating with Adam Candy. There's no one who knows it better, and some lunacy that happened with a 72-year-old baseball umpire. Back after this.
1: Might have seen him at your local YMCA arguing with a U twelve coach. Let's tee it up with Adam. Wait, it's a ref segment. Wouldn't it make more sense if it was a golf segment? Whatever. Let's tee it up with Adam Candy.
2: Back here it said Adam Candy, Danny running the show. Tyler out the next few days, no show on Friday. So here we go. One of these stories that never leaves us, and I don't understand why. A 40-year-old Staten Island man has been arrested for allegedly punching an umpire at a Little League baseball game, leaving the 72-year-old bleeding from the face. Jerry Otero surrendered earlier to the Branchburg Township Police Department to face charges, including aggravated assault and assault at a youth sporting event in connection with the fracas at White Oak Park around 8 a.m. Excuse me, 8 p.m. Why do these things keep happening? I mean, I know they will keep happening because people are out of their minds, but you, you've, been a, you've been an official for a long time, Uh is there always a sense when you go, no matter what age group, no matter what game you're officiating, is there always a sense that you need to be careful or just, you know, have eyes in the back of your head?
0: There's always a sense of need to be careful, and It's not always been the way that it is now. What we see now is that, especially in the last couple of years, especially after everything reopened post-COVID mm-hmm. and people are a little edgier and a little less patient, it's become dangerous. Um, I can remember as a youth baseball umpire when I was, what, maybe 15, 16 years old, having a little league manager following me out to the parking lot, still jawing at me all the way out to the parking lot. And I'm thinking, I can't even drive. Like, And this guy was still jawing in my ear. But I never thought it would get physical. Right, I never right. thought, like, this guy's going to grab me. And now I absolutely have that in my head Whenever I leave something, I'm going to tell you very honestly, most rec ball kind of stuff, even with the big tournaments that come to Vegas in July, Mm -hmm. a lot of great opportunities to see a lot of great players. I've I've had Shaquille O'Neal an assistant coach trying to argue a call with me like it's it's beautiful. There could be be some fun stuff. I don't do it anymore. It's not worth it. It's not worth the potential for something to go sideways like with this guy. So in this situation, you have a 72-year-old umpire who has jaw broken, bleeding on the ground. And according to the story, parents still yelling, well, he deserved it. No, <sighs> he didn't deserve it. Do you
2: think, um, and I know uh, Mark Ratner does the officiating in town, um, and they're always looking for officials. You just said the big tournaments, it's not worth it to do anymore. It's too bad, too, because I think probably a lot of young younger kids would maybe want to be officials one day? They see things like this, or they hear about things like this. So like, yeah, why it's worth? You know, why is this worth it? Um, this must make people not want to become officials, which is too bad because I think they're probably needed at all levels.
0: Well, I have some numbers uh, about that, Ed. But let me ask you back to you first. Like, did you ever find it something interesting? Even as like college or murals or anything like that? Did you ever look at it as something you might be interested in doing? I umpired
2: little league baseball. Yeah. i i did not get hit it was someone like you but it was on the field where a coach just went crazy um i ejected him and he just went nuts and he kept jawing at me and i kept doing it for a little while but then i kind of phased out of it i don't know if that was the reason but it never had the hunger for me after that because it's like what's the point if, the, if this is how it's gonna you know if this is how it's gonna be
0: yeah and you mentioned mark radner and uh, vince kristosik with snoa yeah. they're, they're down on numbers right even and i'll still do high school Because high school, at least, you know, there's always a responsible administrator at the gym and school police who can help you. But it's the rec ball kind of stuff where you're just going to keep churning through people and you're not going to get any good quality people doing it. And this cycle will just keep itself going for as long as people feel like their health and safety is in danger.
2: Horrible story. Too bad. We'll continue to hear more about them. Back after this with the front page.